The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 306, powered by Rageworks, airing live Wednesday, August 12th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Our MMA and wrestling shows broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, and you can watch, listen, and chat live by heading to mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. You can also listen to the high-quality audio feed via Mixler. You can get the Mixler app at mixler.com for Android and iOS devices. All you have to do is punch in My Take Radio, and you'll be able to enjoy high-quality audio on thursday nights we do our gaming and entertainment edition of the show same same way to access mtrlive.com gfqlive.tv and of course high quality audio via mixler or you can listen via the call-in number just don't hit option one and you can listen to the show that way as well all right so as many of you guys know i was on vacation last week Took a uh, trip down to Daytona to visit my father-in-law. Very uh, fun, relaxing trip. Uh, A couple of, you know, a couple of little uh, adjustments just because things are a little slower down in Florida. But nonetheless, it was um, a very enjoyable time. Got to see a couple of weird things that only, you know, you would expect to see in Florida. Caught a shark. Um, Saw two ladies pull up in a Stingray Edition Corvette fully kitted out and pull up to the Walmart parking lot. And the not only did they park in the handicapped spot, but they must have been in their late 60s, early 70s. But the best part was they had handicap plates to park in said spot. So um, ha- had a couple of laughs with regards to that. Definitely uh, one of the high points. It was very interesting. And... Um, that was it, you know, came back Monday, had to reprogram myself to get back to work, but definitely pumped to be back and giving you guys uh, brand new installments of MTR. We got 
new episodes of Black is the New Black. We got the regular season sportscast with the Keith and Jay Santi, which has been doing tremendous and a ton of other stuff as well. But before we get into the show, just a couple of things I got to let you guys know. If you are trying to access the GFQ feed, I believe Andrew is still on vacation, so there is no video feed on GFQ. I am trying to live stream on StreamUp. We're still trying to work out all the bugs. Um, it looked like it was still buffering when we went live, but I am recording a video episode, you know, a video version of the show, which will be released on our two YouTube channels. Uh, within the next couple of days, I'll be testing a brand new chat application as well just to give you guys um, some alternatives with regards to a chat room. I mean, I know a lot of you guys use the IRC, which we use courtesy of our friends at GFQ, but I also know a lot of you guys have reached out expressing frustration with that feed, with that um, chat application. So we are looking at some secondary accommodations, and we should have something finalized in time for next week's show. So right now we are... Fully scheduled for shows through the remainder of the month of August. Uh, there may I may be taking a, a brief break that first week of September because of Labor Day weekend. We'll see, depending on the news. And um, if we do, of course, I'll let you guys know. But otherwise, everything will be running on all cylinders. Like I said, full broadcasting schedule for the remainder of August. We got a ton of content on RageWorks.net. We all, you know, Slick definitely held it down. In my absence, posting stuff up. We got a review for Fantastic Four from Julian. Uh, we got the Fighter of the Month from Ben. We got a ton of stuff that I've been putting up. Gradually, I definitely have a backlog of emails still. Uh, when I came back from Daytona, I think my backlog was at about 250. Out of that 250, I think I deleted about 75 of them. So there's still some stuff that we're sifting through. So keep it locked to RageWorks.net for all the other content over the next couple of days. I know I owe you guys some some reviews and some stuff, and I know some of you guys participated in our contest, so we're going to be sending that stuff out this week for those of you that have won some of the stuff that we gave away. For those of you that have received your items and sent me pictures of you guys with your items, I really, really appreciate it. Definitely always good to share uh, with the people that provided the prizes and shows that you guys are engaged and in the know couple of other things i did want to get out there we are trying to create individual podcast feeds for all our shows i know many of you subscribe to the main my take radio feed on itunes stitcher and tune in radio and you guys get access to the show that way but we are definitely looking to create individual feeds for the shows only because some of you guys um that you guys have mentioned to me that even though you don't mind getting all the shows through this feed Sometimes you only want to listen to one show in particular or another, and I want to try and start creating ways to accommodate that. So we're going to have something hopefully finalized with regards to individual feeds for Black is the New Black, the regular season sportscast, and, of course, the Buried show within the next, I'd like to say, three weeks. I mean, there's just a backlog of other projects we're working on, but that is the goal. Uh, all equipment has been officially upgraded to Windows 10. So still working a couple of bugs out. We actually went back to ManyCam just to see how it works with Windows 10. So far, so good. Video feed and video looks good. So we'll see what happens uh, once we wrap up. Hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't crash, knock on wood, just because I don't want to have to deal with giving you guys audio only this week 
for the first episode back. All right, so what do we got on deck this week? We're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC card, which I did get to watch, even though I was out of town. I did get to enjoy that card. We're going to get into the week's MMA news. On the wrestling side, we're going to talk Raw. We're going to talk some of the other wrestling news of the week. And as always, we will take your calls, 347-324-3541. Again, that call number, 347-324-3541. Participate in the chat by hitting up mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv using the chat there. High-quality audio feed, of course, on mtrlive.com. So be on the lookout for that. So with that said, let's get out of this housekeeping business and jump into this week's show with some MMA first. So let's get to it. All right, so I want to get the ball rolling with UFC Fight Night 73. The main event for that was Glover Teixeira taking on Ovin St. Preux, a.k.a. OSP. Um, The card overall was pretty decent. There weren't as many fights that I want to acknowledge as most other cards, but it was still an enjoyable card nonetheless. One fight that did get my attention in this fight was a fight that I said to myself, you know, it, it, it really could have gone either way. I enjoy watching both fighters, uh, that is going to be, and and here's the thing, the Amanda Nunes, Sarah McMahon fight, both ladies, incredibly talented, um, both of them well-ranked in the bantamweight division, Sarah McMahon in the number four slot, Amanda Nunes in the number seven slot, but still a solid, solid fight between both ladies. I actually had Sarah McMahon as my pick for this fight, but I was really surprised by the improved uh, submission uh, you know, submission, offense, and grit from Amanda Nunes, who secured the victory uh, via rear naked choke in the first round. Um, again, it was uh, really, really solid striking from Amanda Nunes that she used to set up the submission on Sarah McMahon. Definitely good to see some ladies making their mark in the bantamweight division. Of course, when it comes to looking at potential challengers for Ronda Rousey, it's incredibly difficult to really... Uh, separate any of the current women in the rankings only because we already know what to expect. I mean, thus far with with the with the dismantling of you know Bech Kahea, we know that there isn't much um, you know there isn't much to be said about competition at this point. To my knowledge, we you know we got Misha Tate waiting in the wings, uh, possibly a rematch with Kat Zingano, possibly a fight with Holly Holm. And then after that, the the fight with Cyborg is pretty much what is on everyone's mind. And I'm going to get into that later on in the segment. But it's good to see some solid fights in the bantamweight division. Now, the other fight I did want to talk about was the fight between Oluwale Bangbos against Uriah Hall. Uriah Hall, of course, his opponent coming in, uh, Bangbos, on short notice. Uriah Hall made quick work with a TKO victory via punches in the first round. Now, of course, everyone's quick to say that Uriah Hall looked really good in this fight, but you also have an opponent that's coming in on minimal notice trying to make his presence felt. Now, again, some people are going to be frustrated that I'm saying this, but Uriah Hall, and Ben and I have talked about this in previous shows, is an exciting fighter, is a good fighter to watch, but he is a fighter that still fights kind of, you know, like karate champ. Everything is by point 
not really going in, being the aggressor in his fights. I mean, he has great offense, flashy kicks, but he's never been truly, truly pushed to be the aggressor in every fight. It's either going to be a decision victory. I mean, I was really impressed in this case only because, like I said, it was an opponent on short notice, but for people to jump out of their skin and say that Uriah Hall really showed something in this fight, it's tough to, to... get behind people that feel that way only because Uriah Hall's opponent did take that fight on short notice. Nonetheless, I mean, it was an exciting fight. It was enjoyable, but again, not a fight that's going to be talked about with great passion because it was a fight against an opponent that came in on short notice. Another fighter I wanted to talk about was Derek Brunson. He was taking on Sam Alvey and I really, really like watching Derek Brunson fight. Usually he goes out there he really gives fans exciting fights every time he goes out there. This per, this fight with Sam Alvey was no different. Um, really came in incredibly, incredibly vicious, uh, working in some dirty boxing. Um, you know, he worked some dirty boxing in there, and when they broke on the combination, there was a wild exchange in which Derek Brunson just started cracking Sam Alvey, and then at that point a left from Brunson dropped Alvey, and then obviously a few more blows. It was academic at that point with Derek Brunson taking the victory via TKO in the first round. Again, an exciting fight from Derek Brunson, a guy who I I enjoy seeing um, on televised cards because you know you're going to get something special. Either the guy's going to go out on his shield or he's going to go and give you guys something that's definitely noteworthy. The other fight I wanted to talk about was Michael Johnson taking on Benel Dariush. Um, Of course, Michael Johnson, a prospect from The Ultimate Fighter, a guy who many people have felt is, you know, a a, a guy destined for greatness in the sport of MMA. I personally feel that the crop of guys that have come out of The Ultimate Fighter have fluctuated between very, very solid hands in the octagon and guys that just were incredibly, uh, Incredibly, you know, had a lot of hype behind them, but just failed to deliver. I mean, Uriah Hall was a guy that had a highlight reel performance on The Ultimate Fighter. Dana White was, you know, speaking highly of him leading up to his debut in the Octagon. And then, not to say that he fell flat, but I think that his success has been something that has been seen its highs and its lows. The same can be said with Michael Johnson, uh, Benel Dariush. 11-1 11-1 and one coming into this fight, taking on the more experienced Michael Johnson. But Benil Dariush has been impressive in his last couple of outings, and this fight was no different. I think that Johnson had shades of, of brilliance in, in one or two of the rounds, depending on how you watch the fight. But Dariush definitely looked, he looked solid. Um, you know, he, he really had solid striking especially in the third round, looking really, really crisp. Now, again, does this hurt a guy like Michael Johnson? That depends only because Dariush is a guy that is ranked 12 to Michael Johnson's 5. Excuse me, definitely a fight that's going to hurt him in the rankings. For That's for, that's for shit sure. Uh, Dariush, of course, inching his way up, making himself more recognized, and again, delivering solid performances. I'm sure he'll probably get another guy within the top five sooner rather than later because the guy definitely has an exciting fighting style, is a de- is, is a well-rounded and complete fighter, and definitely showed it in this bout with Michael Johnson. Now, the main event, OSP taking on Glover Teixeira. 
a very, very exciting fight from two very talented light heavyweights. I know some people felt that the fight had its lulls, but I personally felt that it was incredibly, incredibly aggressive from start to finish. Good showings, especially from Glover Teixeira, who was really pushing the pace, trying to make a statement at 205. And he definitely did by securing a rear naked choke, three minutes, 10 seconds in the third round. OSP didn't even tap. He actually passed out rather than giving the tap to Glover Teixeira. Uh, Definitely was a stellar performance from Teixeira. Teixeira looked good in all aspects of the game in the cage this time around. Crisp uh, crisp striking, uh, really, really good exchanges with OSP, who is an incredibly uh, well, well, he's a well, he's somebody who's well spoken of in MMA circles as being a guy that's almost there. He's on the cusp of greatness. And even when he fought in strike force, I said, you know, this is a guy that we have to keep an eye on again, incredibly talented, always ready to go out there and exchange, give fans exciting fights. And he definitely did with Teixeira. Teixeira was just the better man on that particular day. Again, not to take anything away from OSP. Like I said, the guy's rank was ranked number six coming in. Glover Teixeira ranked number four coming into this fight. And both guys, again, solid talents in the light heavyweight division. Like I've said before, the light heavyweight division is really up for grabs when you get into that you know, top, top 10 spot. And I say this because even though DC is the champion and he's fighting Alexander Gustafson, the guys, their skill level is so, is so solid that any one of those guys stands a chance at being champion at this point. That's not to say that that wouldn't be the case if, and when John Jones comes back. But right now I kind of feel that the playing field, not that it's level, but that it's anyone's game right now. Like, you know, DC can go in there and have a really good fight against Gustafson, and Gustafson may, you know, get lucky and hit a, a good punch or a, or or a good kick and take the victory, or it may go to decision, and he may come out the winner based on decision. I mean, it's one of those things where, again, every one of these guys is incredibly talented, but the playing field is not head and shoulders the way it was when a guy like John Jones was at the top of the division. Same thing with 170 and 185. You know, there, it's it's becoming less and less the champion being leaps and bounds ahead of the competition. I mean, the the only division I can say where that is the case is with Mighty Mouse with Demetrius Johnson, only because the only guy that can really test him is John Dodson. And I think if, you know, when they fight, that's going to be a testament of how good Demetrius Johnson is if he gets past the magician and continues on the streak that he's been on. Same thing could be said with Jose Aldo, who we know will be meeting Conor McGregor. We're going to get into that. But Conor McGregor, definitely a a, a talented fighter, a great fighter, keeps the, the sport interesting. But you can't ignore credentials like Jose Aldo's. Again, a guy who's head and shoulders above the division, but... There's be there's where we're in a stage where the divisions where that's be where that used to be so so prevalent is not the case anymore. You know, two hundred five, one eighty five, one seventy. Yes, the, those guys they're champions, they're great, but the wealth of talent from slots two to seven or eight is incredible. These guys that they're, they're incredibly talented. Any one of these guys can can string a couple of wins together and give any champion a run for their money. Like I said, the only head and shoulders divisions, in my opinion, right now are Jose Aldo, 
you know, at Jose Aldo in his in his division, regardless of what you say about McGregor, Jose Aldo's record speaks for itself. Demetrius Johnson's record speaks for itself. Ronda's record speaks for itself. Again, champions that are head and shoulders above their competition where a fighter is going to need to really step it up to knock them off their perch. Light heavyweight, heavyweight, it's it's a it's a it's not as level but it's definitely a bit more interesting. It's anyone's game, like they say. I mean, heavyweight, some people say that it's Verdum, Kane, and Junior Dos Santos at this point. That that could be true, but, I mean, we got guys on the come up slowly but surely, you know, Stipe Miocic, all these guys, that they could get it together and get that winning formula to get themselves a title shot and become champion. Right now, Verdum is, is riding an incredible wave, um, you know, his performance against Cain Velasquez was stellar and really showed that he's evolved as a fighter. But you, you can't you can't take away the credentials, the accolades and just the sheer ferocity of a guy like Cain Velasquez, who, you know, he had a bad night. He was coming off a super long layoff. And and now that he kind of has the monkey off his back of fighting in Mexico and all this shit, he can he can get back in there to training, stay injury free and really make the a legitimate run at the title versus him being thrust into this main event after such a huge layoff. It's it definitely was not good for him. And I'll say this because Cain Velasquez is an incredibly is an incredible and an extremely talented fighter. So his performance with Verdum, some people say that oh this is a a decline from his previous performances, but I disagree. I do feel that Verdum was just the better man that night and really rounded out his technique effectively to where he was able to nullify uh, a, a, a not 100%. And I feel this in my bones that Kane was not 100% for that fight. We'll see what happens. I mean, the the Fedor rumblings, of course, continue to float around. Uh, people are saying that a fight between Kane and Fedor would be awesome. Don't get me wrong; it would be it would be amazing. Um, JDS and Fedor has been thrown around. Of course, Arlovsky's in in the in the hunt as well. I mean, it's it's a different division now on the heavyweight side of things. But the the rumblings of the Last Emperor either coming to the UFC or to Bellator has got that everybody on notice. And even still, Fedor can come into the UFC and decide to make a run at 205, which I think given Fedor. Fedor's conditioning he probably could make 205 but I mean the photos I've seen he looks in, he looks fit he looks jacked so he might just be making another run at heavyweight but I've always felt that Fedor at heavyweight was he was a small heavyweight in stature compared to some of these guys and in size but sometimes that doesn't mean shit because you saw him take out guys like Kevin Randleman with minimal ease We'll see what happens in the heavyweight division. Let's get into the other MMA news of the week because there definitely were quite a few. Now, of course, the big one was the $50,000 performance bonuses. Of course, Amanda Nunes got one. Marlon Vera got one. And Fight of the Night went to OSP and Glover Teixeira. Each of these fighters made $50,000 for their work at UFC Fight Night 73. Now... I want to switch gears a little bit because this week, of course, uh, both Anderson Silva and Nick Diaz will be going before the Nevada State of the Athletic Commission. As a matter of fact, it should be tomorrow, and they will be discussing the failed drug test from UFC 183. Now, 
Anderson Silva, of course, many of you know, he failed his pre-fight and post-fight drug tests for testing positive for a shit ton of banned substances. Diaz, of course, tested positive for marijuana in his post-fight test. Now, of course, both fighters were temporarily suspended when both faced longer, more formal suspensions and fines, along with Anderson Silva's win, possibly being overturned. Now, what a lot of people have been saying and a, a news item that has been floating around during the last day or so is that Anderson Silva was using, uh, you know, sex supplements, Viagra, etc., and that one of those supplements had banned, you know, had banned uh, chemicals in it. Now, a lot of people are going to look at that and they're going to be like, dude, are you fucking serious? But according to what they're saying, he was he received tainted sexual performance medication, which was the main reason for him testing positive for performance enhancing drugs. Uh, as many of you know, he tested for banned substances both before and after. But according to the report that Anderson Silva's lawyer, Michael Alonzo, put in, um, the presence of drostanolone can be attributed to a substance the fighter used geared toward enhancing sexual performance. Per Combate, which actually reported this first, according to the report, an independent test concluded that the product was laced with the presence of an anabolic agent. Now, obviously, you know, there's still uh, anti-anxiety substances and medication that were found in his bloodstream as well. But neither of those is considered a banned substance, according to his attorney. Again, um, definitely very, very interesting. Like I said, there's a lot to be said going into this uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission hearing. I'm curious to see what what tests and what medical evidence are being brought forth to defend Anderson Silva. Me personally, I feel that, you know, it's, it's, it's just a really, really fucked up situation that could go either way. I mean, in the UFC's case, having Anderson Silva back in the fold is good for not only the bit, the brand itself, but because of potential matchups for Anderson Silva, the guy's a legend He's a bona fide Hall of Famer. Any fight that he gets, including a rematch with Nick Diaz, is going to be met with incredible, incredible positive feedback from the fans. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. Anderson Silva can go in there, fight Vitor. People will watch it. Fight Nick Diaz again. People will watch it. People will watch another fight between him and Chris Weidman because there's a story there. You're talking about a guy who broke his leg during the fight, and who initially lost his title because he put his chin out there to get checked. There's always a great story when it comes to Anderson Silva. Now, the real question is, how how detailed and how concrete is his legal defense against the Nevada State Athletic Commission? If there's genuine medical proof that, you know, the guy took some Viagra that was laced with some shit and he got caught out there, Okay, but there's still the question of the anti-anxiety drugs, which, again, there are. it's been said that they're not banned substances, but it's still stuff that's coming up in tests. You're going to need a very, very, very lengthy medical report to either exonerate Anderson Silva fully or, at minimum, have him pay a fine because of failure to disclose, you know, that he was using Viagra or some shit. It's going to be a very, very interesting hearing uh, this, you know, tomorrow. And for me personally, 
I'd like to see this put to bed either with, formally with Anderson Silva being receiving his suspension and his fine or being exonerated and just having us move past it. Because what happens is that both him and Nick Diaz, Nick Diaz, we know he tested positive for weed. We got it. I mean, at this point, and, and I've joked about this before, the commission should just accept the fact that Nick Diaz likes to smoke the occasional, the, you know, the, the occasional joint and move on. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is, this is commonplace. It's something you should expect. And for people to be shocked that there was weed in his system is, is insane. I was more shocked with all the shit found in Anderson Silva's system than what was found in Nick Diaz's system. But we'll see what happens. It all unfolds tomorrow, and we're going to find out who's going to be suspended and who's going to be, you know, who's going to be on the shelf for the foreseeable future. Obviously, I will keep you guys posted either via social media, our fan page, or via next week's show. All right. In some other news, Jessica I, who just came off her performance against Misha Tate, will be meeting Juliana Pena at UFC 192. That's going to be taking place October 3rd in Houston, Texas. Uh, Juliana Pena, of course, many people have been watching her recovery after that horrifying injury that she suffered at her gym, uh, tearing ACL and MCL. Uh, just a, a very, very gruesome injury. Juliana Pena is a fighter that many people have felt is incredibly marketable and definitely has the tools to make a name for herself in the sport. Obviously, you know, her relationship with Misha Tate is something that many people will be keeping an eye on, especially when Ronda Rousey is in the picture as well. Now, Juliana Pena, like I said, incredibly solid fighter, uh, a standout in the Ultimate Fighter. Curious to see how she performs against a veteran like Jessica I. And if a, if a decisive victory moves her far enough up the rankings where people will start talking about her being a possible title contender. I'm going to be watching this fight with much interest. Like I said, the ramifications are going to be very interesting because it opens up a ton of different possibilities for both women. Again, they meet at UFC 192 October 1st. Another bit of news that definitely surprised me was Diego Sanchez dropping to featherweight to face Ricardo Lamas at UFC Fight Night 79, which takes place November 21st in Monterrey, Mexico. Now, of course, many of you know Diego Sanchez, a ultimate fighter veteran, a guy who, you know, he goes in there and he gives us probably some of the most memorable and exciting fights. Obviously, his uh, his penchant for gift wrap decisions is something that a lot of MMA fans speak poorly of. But nonetheless, Diego Sanchez definitely goes in there and always gives fans something to talk about. Either his his weird post-fight or pre-fight rituals, his insanity in the cage, his willingness to go in there and absorb massive amounts of punishment, his his desire to bleed for the sport. There's There's a lot of things that people discuss when it comes to Diego Sanchez. Me personally, I always like seeing him fight. Um, I knew that the kid was something special after watching him in the Ultimate Fighter, and he definitely never disappoints. His fights, like I said, are always exciting for me personally. Now, him dropping down to featherweight to fight Ricardo Lamas is going to be very, very interesting. This card already is stacked with Matt Brown taking on Kelvin Gastelum and Efren Escudero taking on Leandro Silva. Plus, you're going to have the finals 
for the Ultimate Fighter Latin America Season 2, uh, the lightweight final and the welterweight final. So keep an eye on that. Like I said, UFC Fight Night 79 goes down November 21st. Now, while we're talking about the you know the commission and everybody's um, you know going before the commission because of shit they get themselves into, uh, one fight that went under the radar for me personally, I actually had to go back and rewatch it, was the fight between Husamar Palhares and Jake Shields. Now, of course, many of you know that uh, Husamar Palhares has a notorious, notorious reputation of holding submissions longer than he should after the bell. Now, in his fight with Jake Shields at World Series of Fighting 22, the outcome was the same. Uh, Husamar Palhares held on to a submission longer than he should have, and when he finally did let go, he was punched after the bell by Jake Shields. Now, a lot of things happened as a result of what transpired during this fight. Palhares was stripped of the title, suspended indefinitely. Jake Shields was suspended as well by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. Uh, Both fighters have temporary suspensions following accusations of unsportsmanlike conduct from both guys. Palhares, of course, was allegedly uh, cited for gouging Shields' eyes and holding on to the submission for too long. And Jake Shields, of course, punching Palhares after the bell. Uh, Paul Harris, like I said, was stripped of the welterweight title by World Series of Fighting and given an indefinite suspension. Uh, Both fighters will be appearing for a disciplinary hearing on September 13th. Now, my problem with this is that uh, Rusamal Paul Harris, a lot of people make excuses for him. Uh, People say that language barrier, the guy's too in the zone, etc., etc., etc. But you have to understand that the submissions that he uses, especially, you know, things like uh, heel hooks, uh, ankle locks, etc., those extra seconds that he holds on to a submission in a, you know, in a fight may damage a fighter some to some, in some cases, permanently. This is why safeguards are, are in place both from the referee and from the fighter, from the fighters themselves, where there's verbal tap, you know, a verbal acknowledgement that you quit, uh, regular physical tap outs, plus the referee deeming that a fighter is unfit to continue. Same thing with doctors at ringside, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The problem is that Paul Harris is a guy that is an exciting fighter to watch, but his penchant for holding on to submissions after the bell, in some instances after the ref has tried, has physically had to pull him off, is is not good for the sport at all. And the problem with this is that guys are getting really, really tired of fighting him. I mean, if you go into an organization and your goal is to be champion and he's the champion of that organization, then you're going to have to inevitably fight him. And the problem with this is that fighters have already said that, you know, they feel he is a dirty fighter, that he approaches the sport, um, you know, in a very, very reckless fashion. For me personally, I feel that, Paul Harris is his antics the first time. Okay. Maybe the excuse of the language barrier, understandable. The second time, a little more questionable. And after that, it, it, it's just genuine recklessness, both from his camp, from him as a fighter 
and from organizations that continue to bring him in because they think that, you know, he's he's a solid draw. He's a draw because of controversy, but are you willing to risk that for the safety and integrity of your fighters? Jake Shields was having none of it. Um, allegations from Paul Harris also were that Shields was greasing during that fight, which we know has some, is something that's been addressed before. But the elephant in the room for me as a fan is the unsportsmanlike conduct of holding on to submissions after the bell. It's just something that with the safeguards that are in place for this sport should not happen. Now, I can understand stoppages because of additional punishment or not intelligently defending yourself. But when your submission is locked in and a guy clearly is tapping, there's no holding on to it longer than they should. It just it doesn't strike me as as the right thing. I mean, no organization should feel that they need to make excuses for this guy. That's that's the, the these are the facts. That from a safety standpoint, you should not put your fighters in this position because it's going to lead to many many more awkward situations like this where a guy like Jake Shields has to punch this guy in the face after the bell. Now, obviously I'm not condoning Jake Shields actions, but I'm also looking at it from, from the perspective of, Hey, this guy's trying to end my career. He's trying to take my livelihood by, you know, breaking a joint or, or injuring a limb when all he has to do when I tap is let go like this. I mean, it's, it's such a such a gray area, but most of the people I've spoken to have said that Paul Harris definitely holds on a little longer than he should, especially with some of the leg locks. The, the leg locks in particular are incredibly dangerous because all it takes is one twist, one extra movement to, to tear an ACL and MCL and end a career like that. And again, this is something that as someone who hasn't been in the cage i can't attest to what's going on at that moment i mean you know we've we've all had our fights we've all had our moments where we black out and we we lose control it's happened to us all in different instances whether it's it's arguments or physical fights or just all consuming rage to the point where there's you know there's nothing that you see in front of you but obviously the target itself i can understand that but You can't use those excuses in a situation where the environment is so controlled like the octagon. Because it is. You have an official in there. You have doctors on staff. And on top of that, you have both verbal and physical acknowledgments that you can utilize when you cannot continue. That's all I'm saying. We'll see what happens uh, when these guys go before the commission on the 13th. As for the stripping of the belt by World Series of Fighting... I, I don't know where I, I stand. And the reason I say this is because the organization signed this guy knowing what they were getting themselves into. And the problem with that is you knew what, what you had. And now all of a sudden you're reacting and, and you're scolding the guy even though you knew his reputation coming in. And this is what I'm saying. You're, you're getting in bed with a guy who has a history of 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 un, of genuine unsportsmanlike conduct. In Paul Daly's case, it was a one and done. You know, he got caught up in the heat of the moment. He could have been suspended. There was no need to cut the guy. It's a little different. 
when Paul Harris got cut by the UFC, it was because it was a continued a continued disregard for his opponent's safety. That's it. Again, September 13th is the date when these guys go before the commission. I will definitely be ready to sound off either way on the next show after that hearing. In some fight announcements, which both fight announcements that I got for you guys have me very, very pumped. Uh, Johnny Hendricks is going to be facing Tyron Woodley at UFC 192. Really pumped for that fight. Both guys, incredible talents in the welterweight division. Johnny Hendricks, of course, a former champion. Serious knockout power. T-Wood coming from Strike Force. We knew that this guy was a great prospect. Has not disappointed thus far. Is probably two wins in my opinion away from title contention Hendricks trying to get back on the radar and get himself another match with Robbie Lawler uh this is an exciting fight win loser draw somebody is getting put to sleep just because looking at this fight the fans win because you're going to see two guys that are at the top of their game great striking great wrestling uh either guy definitely has an opportunity to challenge for a title depending on his performance. And at the end of the day, this is a fight that definitely makes sense. T. Wood is slowly making his way up the rankings. Johnny Hendricks is a former champion trying to get in. Uh, Johnny Hendricks, not Rendricks. Johnny Hendricks is a former champion trying to get himself in there and get another opportunity. The fight makes sense. It's definitely exciting, and it is a fight that you cannot miss. Speaking of guys that want to fight Robbie Lawler, one guy who is getting an opportunity is Carlos Condit. He will be facing Robbie Lawler at UFC 193 after his performance against Rory McDonald. You know, Robbie Lawler definitely is, you know, just a warrior in every sense of the word. This is a guy who many people wrote off years ago and slowly but surely from Strike Force all the way to the UFC has just really, really reinvigorated the fans, generated interest in the division, is an incredible, incredible athlete. And going in there with a guy like Carlos Condit is is going to be exciting for the fans and for both fighters because these are guys that definitely know how to push the pace. Uh, Robbie Lawler is, is a guy that has no, no problem standing there and trading. Condit, also a guy that has great striking, but also a, a very, very... Uh, solid submission game as well. This is a fight that I definitely am looking forward to seeing. Um, UFC 193 goes down in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, The fight will air due to the time difference here in the U.S. on November 14th, but either way, it's a fight that cannot be missed. Again, an amazing fight, a great title fight, both fights stellar. Stellar fights in the welterweight division. That's for damn sure. Uh, two things I want to point out from the MMA side of things before we wrap up and jump into wrestling. Uh, Josh Thompson, who I actually thought was going to probably finish his career in the UFC, uh, is going to find a new home, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is with Bellator. Uh, Josh Thompson, Bellator officials announced that the Strike Force, the former Strike Force and UFC fighter, has joined their their organization and signed a new exclusive multi fight deal. Um, of course, we all know Josh Thompson had a had a solid, solid relationship with Scott Coker in Strike Force. So seeing him 
signed by the organization so quickly is not a shocker to me. I'm just surprised that the UFC did not. I mean, it's been said that the UFC did not renew his contract. Don't know how true that is. There's been uh, conflicting reports of that, but I do feel that Josh Thompson definitely has something to offer the sport, and I think he is going to be a good addition to Bellator's lightweight division. When he fights remains to be seen, but it's definitely uh, a fighter who's always exciting to watch. So, again, uh, congrats to Josh Thompson for finding a home so quickly with Bellator, and definitely props to Bellator for scooping up such a great world-class mixed martial artist. So, we're going to close out with, um, I want to talk about Ronda Rousey a little bit. Uh, Many of you know that Ronda, of course, after her dismantling of Betch Cahaya, has been pretty much the talk of the town for a litany of reasons. Number one, obviously, you know, her her performance in her last fight. Number two, the uh, interview or monologue that she delivered about being a quote-unquote do-nothing bitch. Um, And recently, because of her Reddit AMA, which there are certain things from that AMA that I'm going to be discussing during tomorrow's entertainment segment. But I do want to discuss just where Ronda Rousey fits in the current landscape of mixed martial arts and why a fight with Chris Cyborg makes the most sense sooner rather than later. First thing, Ronda Rousey is probably one of the best things to happen to the organization, uh, to, to the UFC as an organization by and large. We're talking about an organization where Dana White said a woman would never fight in the octagon and Ronda Rousey single-handedly changed his opinion. Now, again, this could be because the guy has a hard-on for her and thinks that she's hot. Whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is that Ronda Rousey made, was one of the, you know, the leaders uh, of the proverbial spear in opening the doors for women to fight in the UFC. Sure, you can say that Gina Carano was the face of women's mixed martial arts. You could say the same thing about Chris Cyborg, Marlos Kunin. And, and it's true. These women all have a place in, in, the, in the proverbial Mount Rushmore of women's mixed martial arts. But the fact is that Ronda Rousey was the one that kicked the door in for the UFC. Her and Misha Tate were the first two female mixed martial artists added to the UFC game. You could not even ignore that. Because it was something that was so big at the time. In addition to that, more and more and more and more women took an interest in mixed martial arts. Because it started becoming a thing where you can be beautiful and good looking. But you could throw on, uh, you know, a pair of rash guards and go in there and mix it up. And work on your Brazilian jiu-jitsu and your striking and your Muay Thai. It went from, I want to do cardio kickboxing to be healthier to I want to learn what it's like to sprawl and brawl. You know, more you know, more young ladies are taking an interest in uh, judo and jiu-jitsu and wrestling and, and so many other outlets that are facets of the sport, not only because of Ronda Rousey's success, but because it's something that's now become acceptable. And I think it's, it's great to see that her outspoken nature, while sometimes gets a little annoying and a little frustrating for fans, in the grand scheme of things, is necessary for the sport to succeed. 
in an, in a world where every soundbite comes from Dana White, and out of every one of those soundbites, I want to say 50% are bullshit that, that set the sport back and 50% are great, that's not a good margin to have. Sure, you got your guys like Conor McGregor, your, your Chael Sonnens, your, you know, all the, all the, the, the guys that go out there and sell themselves. But, and, and that's great. They sell themselves. They sell the organization. But Ronda Rousey is selling not only an organization and a sport, but a, a gender, a demographic that even though the UFC has it, didn't, it didn't have it to the point that it has it now. More and more and more women are inclined to watch the sport because they feel a kinship with, with some of the fighters in there. It's not just, hey, I want to watch the, the fights because I think X fighter is cute. Now it's because there's genuine interest. There's genuine enthusiasm. There's, you know, little girls that want to learn mixed martial arts because they see someone like Ronda Rousey who, you know, came from, you know, a, 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 a tough, you know, not a tough background, but just someone who who pulled herself up, competed in the Olympics, slept in her car, overcame personal adversities of, of varying degrees to make a name for herself in the sport. So I feel that her contributions to the sport cannot be ignored. But, and, and, and this, is, this is where I got to kind of veer off a little bit. The fact is that you can't pour all your eggs in one basket. And I've said this before, UFC is notorious for that. Ronda Rousey knows that she is a household name. She knows that within four fights, if you count a fight with Cyborg, she'll have pretty much defeated everybody that needs to be defeated. And I say this because, sure, women can come into the, into the weight class and, and claw their way up through the ranks, but the fights that are exciting, the fights that people want to see, the fights that... That are that are that get people's blood pumped are Ronda and Holly Holm. For those of us that are, you know, seasoned, knowledgeable MMA fans, Ronda and Misha Tate, yes, to a degree, because it's like a freak show. You know, Misha Tate's gonna talk some shit. Oh my god, I hate Ronda Rousey. She's a fucking idiot. Blah blah blah. We know that's what that's gonna go to, and Ronda Rousey's pretty much like kill bitch kill. I'll fight you and your man in a tag team match and kill you both. We know that's what we're going to get. We're going to get crazy sound bites. We know we're going to get some some grade-A shit talking. But at the end of the day, it's an outcome that we pretty much know is certain. And that is an arm bar and Misha Tate losing once again. Uh, while we all would like to hope that that's not the case, the majority of the time, that's pretty much what we're all thinking. Okay, Ronda and Holly Holm. Holly Holm, of course, uh, spoken, you know, highly regarded for her impressive striking abilities, uh, really good boxing. Can she go in there and challenge Ronda on stand-up? Perhaps, perhaps not. But it's a fight we haven't seen. Again, two fighters that have been spoken of in, in circles at length. Everyone would want to see that. Now, sure, you could throw in, what about Ronda and Gina Carano? Gina Carano is not coming back. Not coming back. She's marketable as an actress. You know, her acting, sure, it leaves a lot to be desired, but she can fight. She looks good. And there's always a market for women that can kick ass and straight to DVD movies. 
Period. Simple as that. And sure enough, I say this because look at Dave Batista. Dave Batista has some shitty movies on his resume. Now, everybody loves him because he was Drax and he has a uh, he has a role in the upcoming 007 film Spectre, and his character, from what's been said, is going to be a guy that's going to be a staple in future Bond movies, much like Jaws in the old James Bond film. So again, it's one of those things where you can't shit on, on Gina Carano too much because all it takes is that one role to put her on the map. And then, of course, there's the fight with Ronda and Cyborg. That is the fight. That is... The pinnacle. That is that is a, a huge fight, a massive payday. The shit talking is there. The beef is real. But there's a lot of factors that can derail that fight just as quickly as it can be put together. Number one, Cyborg making weight. Making the, the, the weight is crucial. There should be no catch weight. There should be nothing. It should be level playing field, you know, fighter versus fighter. May the best woman win, period. All this talk of catch weight and Rondo go up, no. That's the division that exists in the UFC. That's a division you got to fight in, period. Unless you plan on creating a new division and have Ronda be champion in two divisions, sure. But since you you guys aren't doing that and you're not, and it's not something that's been discussed, Cyborg needs to fight at Ronda's weight. Period. It's number one. Number two, the specter of performance enhancing drugs. Sure, Cyborg has been clean since she got caught that one time. But, and this is a huge but, but one that can't be ignored. It's something that people will look at going into this fight. You know, hey, she's got to be tested before the fight, after the fight, during the fight, between rounds, hair sample, urine sample, blood test, skin follicle exam, you name it, it needs to be done to ensure that the playing field is level. That's it. And aside from that, of course, the big one is the fact that, yes, Cyborg can fight at 135. Can she fight at 135 consistently? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where I have a solution. Very simple. You still got Kat Zingano, talked about it in the title picture. Holly Holm, casually talked about it in the title picture. And, of course, Misha Tate. Beck Cahaya. Uh, Beck Cahaya. Again, fighters all in some sort of a title orbit. Cyborg, here's your job. We're going to give you three fights in the UFC at 135. You got your intro fight, you got your contender fight, and you got your title fight. Make weight. Win these fights, and you'll be ready to go. That's it. Serious. Make weight and and, and be ready to rock and roll. First fight I'd give her, probably Holly Holm. Undefeated, a prospect in every sense of the word, definitely can pose a challenge. Second fight, the person who who Ronda beat last. Let's say Bech Cahaya, done. Or Misha Tate. Done. If you can succeed in those two fights, then let's go forward with this title fight. And that's it. All this grandstanding and pissing and moaning, I hate you, you're a bitch, blah, 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 get tested, drop weight, cut off a tit, I hate you. 
We don't need it. We don't need it. We don't need Dana White fueling the fire. We don't need Tito Ortiz fueling the fucking fire. Make weight. Give her the three fights. Call it a day. Everybody wins. Cyborg fighting Holly Holm. Definitely people will tune in to see that. Cyborg fighting Misha Tate or Bech Kohea with the winner fighting Ronda or even fighting Kat Zingano with the winner fighting Ronda. Done. People will watch it. No one is not going to ignore that fight. And, of course, the big one, Ronda and her, big title fight, put it on a card that's stacked and move forward. It's that simple. You know, hell, if if you want to say by UFC 200, for argument's sake, you want to make it a legendary card, that's what it is. Cyborg, Rousey, done. That's it. All this grandstanding and, and, oh, I hate this bitch and I hate you and her mom getting involved and, you know, all these other fighters and all these other analysts and pundits. Make weight. Win some fights at that weight. Piss clean. We're done. The problem is that in an era of constant sound bites and thousands of websites covering the sport of mixed martial arts, everyone wants to stand out. So... It's like, Cyborg, do you think you could beat Ronda Rousey with your hands tied behind your back in a flaming cage? Sure, I can do that, but Ronda Rousey's a bitch, and I'm going to kill her, and I'm going to string her up after I beat her for everyone to see. Like, oh, Cyborg said, and out of that entire exchange, they'll get, Cyborg said that she wants to hang Rousey by her neck in front of the crowd. I think that's, that's how it goes. That, that's, that's really the, the, the short version of what's happening. I gave you guys the perfect blueprint. Three fights, make weight, piss clean, that's it. Ronda said it herself, here's my plan. Beat Misha Tate. Beat whoever I have to fight after Misha Tate. Go make a movie. No, beat Betch Kahea, beat Misha Tate, go film a movie. You mean to tell me that in that span of time, Cyborg can't get some fights in at 135 before challenging Ronda, who may at that point be done filming said movie, and the fight can happen. Give me a break. Simple as that. Give me a break. The interest is there. It's at a fever pitch. Ronda Rousey's at the top of her game. Don't wait until she sours on the sport and is ready to exit and go to Hollywood or TV or wrestling, because there is that. Don't sour on that. And, and make the fight happen. But use common sense. That's all I'm saying. And for, those, and for those of you that don't think that WWE wouldn't scoop Ronda Rousey up in a heartbeat, should she retire from mixed martial arts, you're out of your fucking mind. Vince McMahon, Triple H, and, and WWE management are chomping at the bit for, for, for when she decides to step away from the octagon. Simple as that. Anyway, now that I got that off my chest, let us switch gears and jump into this week's wrestling. Booker T, take us away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga!
couple of things I want to discuss first. As many of you know, the uh, the passing of, of Roddy Piper was discussed at length through numerous websites, countless blog posts. And um, it's funny because you look at that, you look at the passing of Roddy Piper and the acknowledgement by WWE, all the great tributes, all the great stuff from the fans, uh, people remembering all his contributions. And I have to say this. The passing of Roddy Piper, the passing of Dusty Rhodes, uh, the Ultimate Warrior, um, you know, it's it's something that it's it's terribly unfortunate, but it's something that we're gonna keep seeing for the foreseeable future. Of course, of course, the passing of of Macho Man Randy Savage, but the the way I look at it is that we are in an era where this is gonna be something we're gonna hear. Often, it's terrible to say, but the the lifestyle that these guys lived back then, and to some degree now, depending on which performers we're talking about, is catching up with some of these guys. Roddy Piper's case, you know, he, he you know he had heart attack, but I'm just saying that this we're, we're and I've talked about this before, and I've talked about this with friends of mine. Where, and I'll give you guys an example. I I recently turned 35 years old. When you when you hit, I know guys in their 40s. Hell, I know guys in their 50s that, and you know to an extent even in their 60s that are talking about, hey, I knew this guy, he died. Hey, I knew this other guy, he died recently. Hey, I knew this other guy, he died not too long ago. And the thing about that is that. We reach those you know those milestone ages where we talk about that stuff and it starts becoming more and more prevalent. I you know knock on wood I gotta say I haven't reached a point where I can start naming people I knew that are dead that you know I grew up with or I went to school with. I'm not at that stage yet, but for for some of these guys that have been on the road that are wrestling. You know, it has to hurt so so much, especially when they've been at that stage where they're like, yeah, you know, Rick Rude, Macho Man, uh, Savage, Piper, you know, the list goes on. Just talking about all these different all these different performers that have passed away and the guys that are that are still walking this earth that they're like, hey, man, you know. They're at that stage where it's like, fuck, you know, every guy I knew is either dead, you know, fucked up physically or whatever the case may be. And looking at that, it I, it makes you wonder. And, you know, it's been talked about, like the shelf life of wrestlers in this industry and how, you know, that we go through cycles where one, two, three, four, five wrestlers die at a clip. And it's and it's terrible to say. I remember listening to ONA. They would talk about, oh, you know, it's like. It's like, can we go a year without one wrestler passing away in some capacity? And, of course, it was a running gag, but it was a gag that started becoming very, very realistic. And I say that because you look at when when Dusty Rhodes passed away. When Dusty Rhodes passed away, it, it sucked, you know? It sucked because I grew up watching the guy. You know, I, I grew up seeing that. I remember thumbing through, you know, channels on, on, on my mom's old TV and coming across some old NWA or some really, really old 
WCW and seeing Dusty Rhodes. I remember him dancing with Sapphire in, in, in WWF at the time and thinking to myself, who is this fat guy with these fucking polka dots? And why does everybody like him so much? And I was a kid and I didn't know any better. And then as I got older, I realized what type of a performer Dusty Rhodes was and what he can, he can impart on future generations. Same thing with Randy Savage. You look at Randy Savage, he had intensity, he had the look, he had the moveset. He was the complete package of showman, wrestler, and just all-around exciting human being. And again, to pass that knowledge down to the performers of today, they'll never have that opportunity. You look at a guy like Roddy Piper. Roddy Piper embodied the guy who, who had zero problems going off script, going against the establishment, telling people how he felt, and not giving a shit. In an era where we live with cookie cutter, oh, you can't say this, or you're going you're gonna to offend this guy, uh, something like that is, is you know, it's, he, we don't have that. You know, Slick says in the chat, Roddy Piper is the template for guys like The Rock and John Cena. I can agree with that. You know, D-Generation X, all these guys. You look at you look at the way that it was back then, and then you look at it now, and the influences cannot be ignored. I remember Rick Rude feuding with Jake the Snake and coming out and having Jake the Snake's wife airbrushed on his trunks. And it was just like, wow, that's some, you know, some, some foul shit. And of course, years later, we saw varying angles between wrestlers and their significant others and the villains that they were fighting at the time. And you see that. You see shades of that. And the thing that gets me is that as I get older and as wrestling fans get older, it's really sad to say, yeah, you know, I remember that guy. He died. Or I remember this other guy. He died. I remember, you know, Eddie Guerrero untying his boot when he was in the ankle lock with Kurt Angle and then hitting himself in the head with a chair and, uh, you know, laying unconscious and Kurt Angle getting disqualified, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I remember um, Chris Benoit and Kane being in a, being a, a tag team in a match against The Rock and The Rock making fun of Kane with the voice box and making jokes about Chris Benoit. You know, stuff like that I remember. I, you know, you look at Dusty Rose, the Hard Times promo, amazing, probably one of one of the best promos when you listen to it because there was genuine passion there. Like I said, I've played that promo so many times on this show. It's it's like it's like a, a running gag. Hell, you know, Macho Man Randy Savage, uh I remember him being bit by the snake, Jake the Snake snake biting Randy Savage when he was tied on the ropes. I remember when he became Macho King, and I remember when Zeus was with him during the whole no-holds-barred Hogan thing. So many great moments. So many. When, when Jay Lethal was imitating him and, and everybody was just, you know, relishing in the fact that Randy Savage's his aura, his gimmick lived on through, through Jay Lethal at the time. And this is what I'm saying. The Ultimate Warrior, another example, a guy just, you know, when he came out and he cut that promo that Monday sent chills through your spine and then for him to pass the next day it was it was crazy and the reason that I'm talking about this stuff is because we're getting into that age especially those of us that are older wrestling fans that we're going to be seeing 
a lot of our favorites pass sooner rather as terrible as it sounds sooner rather than later we're going to be waxing poetic about these guys for for years to come but we're going to have to deal with that constant you know hey this guy died that guy died you know it, it's fucked up but that's how it's going to be even hogan hogan who right now is probably hated by so many people you know yeah, if if the guy passed this earth, knock on wood, tomorrow, sure, he did say some foul things, but we'd all remember all the great shit he did, all those memorable moments, you know, being part of the NWO, the Hollywood Hogan era, spray-painting Macho Man with the NWO and beating him with a Slim Jim on Nitro, him being Mr. America under the fucking mask. Just, just so many iconic moments, but... We're, we're, we're too busy, obviously, thinking of, hey, you know, he said some racist shit and he's a piece of shit. And yes, I can say that. Terry Bollea, human being, garbage because of, of his views. But as a performer, I remember a lot of great shit. I remember Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling. I remember taking uh, WWF multivitamins. I remember buying WWF ice, ice cream bars and being excited that Hogan was on the bar that I had and tearing out the little fucking card when I was a kid. It was cool. I remember going to the Dover Theater in the Bronx with my brother watching No Holds Barred, which was a double feature that was given with Pet Cemetery. I remember I sat through Pet Cemetery and then they gave No Holds Barred and I watched it. And I thought, wow, this is fucking cool. And then when Zeus showed up on WWF, I, rem- you know, I remember those moments. And yes... Terry Bollea said some foul shit, some really, really disingenuous, racially charged garbage. But I also remember that Hulk Hogan entertained the shit out of me as a kid. Not now that he's older and people got to run into his leg for the leg drop and, and, and the big boot. But back then, too many moments that you just can't ignore. That's all I'm saying. I just, you know, as a fan, I got I to gotta stress Enjoy the work of these performers now so that you don't feel the sense of nostalgia when it's announced that they died. And I'll don't 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 crank out, uh, you know, Piper's pit now that the guy is dead. But remember all the cool stuff, him hitting Jimmy Superfly Snooker with the coconut, him spraying Morton Downey Jr. with the fire extinguisher, his boxing match with Mr. T. You know, go on the network. Watch those, remember those, and be like, hey, man, you know, a lot of the stuff this guy did is apparent and definitely influences a lot of the shit that we watch now. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's jump into Raw this week, which, again, I wanted to uh, write a um, WMD post for Raw, but I had just got back from Florida Monday night, so I actually watched Raw yesterday. And um, I actually watched it in two parts. I watched Raw yesterday, and then I finished watching the remainder of it today. Uh, First thing I want to discuss is the Divas Revolution. The Divas Revolution on paper is tremendous. I've said this before. But the same nine Divas in some capacity on television every week, while it is good and the matches are solid, is starting to run its course. And before you guys say, oh, but Rich, you know, you wanted great wrestling. You got it. 
Why are you so pissed off? Why are you so annoyed? Why are you bitching? It's not bitching. It's the fact that you've created three clicks of of divas that are going to feud with each other instead of looking at the main prize, which is the divas title. Sure, you could have created, you know, one little faction real quick, but at the end of the day, the the big prize, the prize that matters should be the divas title. And there's so much infighting for the Divas Revolution that it's become a division of nine women. You know, you forget about Natalia, who obviously with Tyson Kidd being on the shelf, I can understand. Rosa Mendez, who is now pregnant, not the greatest wrestler, but still another loss. Summer Rae, too busy being Rusev's valet, a non-factor. Lana, a valet, a non-factor. Eva Marie in NXT, okay. But everyone else, it's like it feels like every other diva that existed on that roster has just disappeared. Which, again, partially is understandable. But when you take the three, you know, the divas that you have and you lump them in these groups, you lose sight of the biggest prize, which is. Again, the belt. The belt is the prize. But here's the problem. You want Nikki Bella to eclipse AJ's record because AJ left the company and you want to make sure to sweep that under the rug. It's no different than when Brock Lesnar was the youngest champion, but then you guys put the belt on Randy Orton because, again, wham, motherfucker, wham. You know, it's like, you guys did me wrong. We're going to do the the, the juvenile thing and, and, you know, just... We're going to make sure that somebody breaks that record. It pains me to say it, but Nikki Bell is not losing the belt till AJ's record with the title is broken. Period. So for the foreseeable future, we're going to keep seeing tag team matches, three on threes, battle royals, the usual, because the title has become an afterthought until Nikki Bella breaks the record. And the problem, like I've said before with this, is that the Divas Revolution is going to become the Divas Recycled Revolution because we're going to get the same matches every week. Hey, look, Charlotte and Sasha Banks. Oh, hey, look, Charlotte and, you know, Brie Bella. Oh, look, Charlotte and Alicia Fox. Okay, great. Oh, Naomi and Nikki Bella. Oh, Naomi and Becky. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to see these matches play out the same way until Nikki Bella breaks that record. And the thing is that we're all being played because we're all excited about the Divas Revolution, but we're losing sight of the fact that Nikki Bella hasn't defended the belt at all because we're too busy getting tag team matches, non-title matches, uh, you know, three-on-three, you know, six Diva tag matches that the belt has taken a back seat. And... The, the WWE is doing it blatantly. Like, they're telling us, hey, look, you guys wanted divas. Here they are. Oh, what about the belt? What belt? You got new divas, guys, new divas, new divas. What? But, but the belt's got to be defended. No, no, no. Look, new divas. They got snazzy team names. Even though the submission sorority was, you know, a porno name, but still, you know, look, 
New Divas. Now, again, I'm not I'm not disillusioned by seeing the Divas on television. On the contrary, we've been getting some solid wrestling, excluding Brie Bella, who's wrestling. I don't understand where the fuck it went, but Paige, Charlotte, uh, Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, Naomi, hell, even Tamina, have have shown uh, a willingness to give us better wrestling. And for that, I am grateful. But, again, I'm grateful for the better wrestling, but I'm not grateful for the fact that they've been pigeonholed into these little cliques that are going to have to fight for the foreseeable future until Nikki Bella breaks the fucking record. Because that's what's going to happen. Sucks, but it's true. Slick ads, they should not have made them teams. If they were all beating the shit out of whoever was in the ring, it would be better. True. And he said, Divas title's not even being defended. 100% right. It's like, oh, what title? Where is it? Who knows? Anyway, moving on. I, I gotta give some props to the New Day. Pains me to say it, but these fuckers have figured out a way to be entertaining as fuck with the shittiest gimmick ever. Shittiest gimmick ever, but they have found a way to really make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Because we all know, and I'll be the first one to tell you, that when that gimmick debuted, it was abysmal. And I hated it utterly. But they have finally figured out a way to take this gimmick and make it entertaining. From Kofi Kingston's ridiculous skipping, which I've talked about at nauseum, to Big E just being a complete lunatic this week. I don't know who told him that that gyrating was a good idea, but it was funny. And Xavier was just screaming like a maniac. It works. It's comedic, but to the point where the comedy works, which is insane because the gimmick, when you look at it on the surface, is terrible. Now, here's the problem. These guys have taken the gimmick, turned it on its head, made it entertaining. But when you take a gimmick like that and you make it the backbone of a team, if and when that gimmick decides to go in another direction and become more serious, maybe more aggressive, it's going to get lost in the shuffle because too many people are going to be inclined to remember new day sucks. New day sucks. And this is something that has plagued factions for, for as far back as I can remember with some notable exceptions. The Four Horsemen, obviously, their gimmick always style and profile and better than everybody else. You know, the pinnacle of excellence. You can, you can, you can package that as villains, as, as heroes, and it will always work. The Nation of Domination, unfortunately, started one way, leveled to the other way, you know, kind of flipped on, on to being, you know, the rock and, and the nation. And then after that, it was, it was a non-factor. The NWO heels, faces, always worked. Even red and black, uh, you know, Latino world order, all that shit, it worked. Heels or faces because the gimmick just had the right amount of polish where it was effective. With the New Day, it's a gimmick that you built on, you know, fan reaction on being good that people shit on and you figured, oh shit, 
but let's react accordingly and make them a hated do a hated trio. How are you going to reverse that? How are you going to make the new day cheerworthy? Now, obviously, oh, you know, all it takes is them saving an, a, a face in peril or, you know, doing something heroic or notable. And that's great. But the only person who was able to take adversity of that magnitude and make it work as a face was Kurt Angle. When Kurt Angle had the you suck chance as a as a heel, when he turned face, the you suck chance were then quote unquote directed at his opponent. And you found a way to to make that mean something. My concern with the New Day is that they've turned the corner in terms of making being a villain funny. Like it works. Like villainy works for them. But if and when they decide to do something where they're gonna be faces I feel that it's going to be an uphill battle because you've pigeonholed them in this, you know, quasi comedy gimmick. Now, obviously, the easy solution is to break them apart. But I'll tell you right now, if you break the New Day apart, you have two options. Big E needs to go and and go into the main event because the guy has the charisma to become a bona fide main eventer. Kofi Kingston, unfortunately, is relegated to the mid-card, and Xavier Woods would probably follow suit. Now, if you were to break them up, make Kofi and Xavier Woods a legitimate tag team because they work well together, and then move Big E to the main event slot. I always felt that the tag team work of Big E with Kofi, while it was good, again, it's that you know power and, and, and speed. I feel that Kofi and Xavier Woods just have a better dynamic. But nonetheless, their outing with the Matadors was solid. It worked, and Big E definitely stole the show this Monday, even though Kofi Kingston's skipping cannot be ignored. Now, I want to talk about the, the setup from earlier this evening, which was Kevin Owens, Cesaro, and Randy Orton with the winner facing uh, Seth Rollins. couple of things. First of all, Cesaro continues to improve on the mic work every week. Let the guy talk every week. He will improve. And then nobody can complain that his mic work sucks. Period. That's number one. Number two, Randy Orton coming out and making a comment about Kevin Owens' weight. Whether the dirt sheets are to be believed that it was based on, oh, you know, people, management finding a way to rib Kevin Owens. I felt that that set both the WWE and Randy Orton's character back. Because why would you go with the most obvious joke when Kevin Owens is being booked as this monster and now you're just looking at him as the quote-unquote wrestling fat guy? We're talking about an organization that preaches be a star and acceptance and your first and the first thing you do is crack on the guy because he's not chiseled out of granite. Definitely a, a misstep, in my opinion, you know, from WWE. Now, obviously, Randy Orton, he's told what to say. He goes out there. He says it. But it just looked like something that was out of character for Randy Orton, who's the apex predator. He's not, you know, he's not an eighth grader poking fun at somebody. He's not fucking Nelson from The Simpsons. He's a guy who's top of the food chain, an incredible athlete that'll go out there and does all his talking in the ring. And for you to resort to something so juvenile, just... It didn't sit right with me because I said it, and I've said it numerous times. Kevin Owens, 
not your your atypical uh you know jacked wrestler but incredibly talented but the same can be said for Samoa Joe Samoa Joe's not chiseled out of granite either but he's probably one of the best wrestlers in the world and to 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 do something so juvenile to build that up was was just sad like I saw it I was like really we went there we went, we went there? Like, you guys preach, oh, you know, acceptance and blah, blah, blah. Like, if you would have been like, you know, walk Kevin's walk, walk Owen's walk, run Owen's run, whatever. But doing something so so juvenile and superficial, just it seemed out of character for Randy Orton, and it just really did, you know, it was it was a shitty move on the part of creative to go that route. But wrestling-wise, the match was top notch great wrestling from all parties even from 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 blandy randy orton definitely showed that with the right opponents and i've said this before with the right opponents he's gonna give us good wrestling it just it just bothers me that you 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 have these guys going out there and busting their asses you know that they're good you know they're gonna deliver great matches and they're just they're just there taking up space like if, if there's this big issue between Cesaro and Owens, when do you guys plan on announcing a match between them at SummerSlam? How about that? Hey, guys, you're making SummerSlam four hours. C- Cesaro and Owens, anyone? Anyone? Bueller? I'm serious. All right, both guys want to challenge for the belt. That's great, but they also have their own beef. Let's settle it. Boom. Put that match together and be done. But, alas... It's not what creative felt like doing this week. The other match I wanted to talk about, um, Ambrose, you know, the whole my brother, my crazy brother with Roman Reigns and Ambrose, it's good, and I think it's a great way to continue to make Roman Reigns work effectively, but the problem is that you have to make it that him and Ro- that Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose are on the same level. It's not just, oh, you know, he's Roman Reigns' helper and he's helping him against the Wyatts. On the contrary, I would take those two guys, I would continue to, to, to leverage that relationship, make it more and more interesting. I mean, the chemistry between them writes itself. It was great. It was funny. Um, it really showed that there's genuine friendship there. You can build off of that. In, a, in, in, a, in an area where we are lacking tag teams, Reigns and Ambrose as a tag team would work. In a division that is that is pretty much in flux right now, Reigns and Ambrose work as a tag team. Hell, Harper and, and, and Bray Wyatt work as a tag team. But you got to remember, you got to make an investment for a, for a fair amount of time. That simple as that. Why can't the Wyatt family comprised of Bray and Luke Harper be the tag team champions. Why? Why not? And this is what I'm saying. Like, you got this issue. You got this feud. It's great. But maybe start utilizing this for a be- a bigger purpose. You know, Roman Reigns and Ambrose going, going in and trying to get the tag team titles. Why not? The Shield were tag team champions before. Why the hell not? That's all I'm saying. We saw the return of Daniel Bryan, of course, on Miz TV, which was also used as a way to shoehorn the return of Ryback. I got no problems with it. 
Of course, it sets up the inevitable triple threat match at SummerSlam. Uh, good to see the big guy back. Uh, Ryback, of course, was on the shelf with a staph infection. I feel that Ryback, ever since he's been Intercontinental Champion, has had a, a lot of improvement in the ring. He's he's better, uh, more crisp, doesn't move as robotic. The problem with Ryback is that you need to put him in there with guys that he can learn from. And when I say that, I say, you know, guys like Cesaro, guys like Kevin Owens, um, you know, guys like Adrian Neville, guys like Stardust, guys that will help Ryback become better. And I mean better all around, better on the mic, better in the ring. Unfortunately, being better on the ring or on the mic is not going to work with guys like The Big Show and The Miz because The Miz can out-talk both The Big Show and Ryback. I hate to say it, but it's true. Miz on the mic is better than Ryback and The Big Show. And because of that, it is it is his gift and his curse. Because wrestling-wise, he's probably he's pretty decent, but in the power game, it's not going to look believable unless he he sneaks out a win or he does something underhanded getting getting over on Ryback or the Big Show. As for the Big Show, when people are chanting for him to retire, there's there's definitely something there when he said find someone to retire me. That's a that's a great story. You you could create the Big Show challenge or something and do something with that. Not as a way to write it off, but as a way to help elevate someone down the road that may be be of a great vehicle to retire the big show. Again, just throwing that out there, but unfortunately, Ryback's success as champion is dependent on his opponent. And right now, the two guys that he's going into the ring with are not the guys that are going to help him be better. Simple as that. Rusev and Mark Henry, of course, continues to escalate the feud with Lana at the expense, obviously, of Mark Henry, who, again, and I've talked about this on numerous occasions, is incredibly underutilized. You bring Mark Henry in there, you bring him back, you do something with him. What? It's like, what are you going to do with him? Is he a heel? Is he a face? What is, what is his story? Honestly... I would have taken Mark Henry and had him join the New Day. I'm serious. Because Mark Henry is good at being the heavy. And when I say the heavy, it's like you when you take a faction, any faction, I always look at it as a four-tier approach. Meaning, you got your tag team guys, you got your mid-card guy, you got your main event guy. With the goal being always for the group to have all the belts. That is the goal. So when you take a guy like Mark Henry, who has the pedigree, the look, and the capability of being champion, and you relegate him to being in filler matches and really just accomplishing nothing, all you're doing is hurting this guy's marketability. Period. You mean to tell me, that Mark Henry can't can't be scouted by the New Day. Like, hey, the power of positivity is going to help you, Mark. Like, you could make that a story all its own. They come out every week, and they're like, Mark, you know, 
you you we can help you we can we can we can help you be better trust us believe in the power of positivity and yeah it's it's corny and it's and it's cliched but you know maybe mark henry goes out there and he starts chaining wins together because you know maybe big e's out there with him yeah mark you know whatever and they may be cheating to help him win but he starts believing the hype and then you know mark henry part of the new day now you got your main event guy your mid-level guy and your tag team guys meaning Mark Henry, why can't he challenge for the belt? In in an era where your 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 challengers are Brock Lesnar and John Cena, for you know for argument's sake for Seth Rollins, why can't Seth Rollins work a program with Mark Henry, even if it's a brief one? Doesn't have to win it, but you got a main event guy. Why can't Big E make a run for the U.S. title or the IC title at this point? Why can't Big E answer the John Cena open challenge? Why not? And this is what I'm saying. You create these factions. At the end of the day, a faction's purpose is to build up all the talent that are part of it. Whether it's the NWO, Four Horsemen, whatever the case may be, it was always a vehicle to build up the talent. The Shield actually succeeded in that respect because it built up the talent and it created main event tag team and mid card guys all in that same breath. Obviously I, you know, the, the Seth Rollins heel turn surprised everyone, but at the end of the day, you got out of that tag team champions at one point intercontinental champion. I mean, us champion at one point, um, world heavyweight champion. You got something out of that faction. Collectively, you look at evolution. You had, your, your world champion when Randy Orton won the belt. You had your tag team champions at one point. Same thing. When Randy Orton had legacy, you had the same thing. You had your main eventer in Randy Orton. You had your tag team guys in um, Ted DiBiase Jr. and Cody. Or you even had an IC guy with Cody in the same breath. That's the point of a faction. Mark Henry either needs to be involved in some capacity in a faction or something. Because we're going to continue to look at the fact that this guy has the tools, has been on a tear, and has been underutilized. Simple as that. As for Summer Rae and Lana's little exchange, it was, it was all right. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but the payoff is going to be Dolph Ziggler is going to come in for the save. We're going to get our, our mixed tag match, and, that, and Lana's going to get in there and get her revenge, and that's it. That's where we're going. Seriously. Anyway, the big the big one, of course, Stephen Amell in attendance, Neville, King Barrett, um, Stardust got involved, Pie faces Stephen Amell, Stephen Amell hops the hops the barrier, hops the ring, starts whooping Stardust ass, and of course, based on that, we get a little backstage segment, Stephen Amell talking about make it happen, I want a match, blah blah blah, and of course, we get our match, the Red Arrow. And the Green Arrow against Stardust and Wade Barrett. Now, my problem here is Wade Barrett is just there. <laughs> He's just there. Like, all right, Wade Barrett, just there. And um, Stephen Amell's involvement, while it's cool and it's great and it's going to generate interest, a couple of things. First off, needs to wear the Green Arrow costume, number one. Number two, if they were smart... 
Green Arrow would zip line in. I mean, you know, the zip line is always something of concern after the 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 issue with the late Owen Hart, but something cool. You got to leverage that into something cool. Maybe he comes in through the crowd. Maybe the lights go out and he shows up. Maybe he comes out on like a motorcycle. Whatever the case may be, what you know, you have to leverage that. And Slick is saying that the segment was garbage and the match will be garbage. I disagree. I disagree for three reasons. Mainstream appeal, number one. SummerSlam is fucking four hours. Number two, Stephen Amell is more than likely going to put in some work to be a better wrestler. Number three. It's it's different when you got Snooki in a match or Carl Malone in a match because you're working safe. Stephen Amell has expressed a willingness to go out there and mix it up. I'm sure that he's not going to go out there and have a five-star match, but I but the mainstream appeal of that match has succeeded in reaching a different audience. Simple as that. And obviously, he's going to get three hits in and Neville's going to do all the work. That's that's a that's a given in any celebrity match, but the fact is that from a mainstream standpoint, it has succeeded. The guy's mainstream presence is top-notch. If you follow Stephen Amell on social media, you know that the guy engages constantly. And there's tons of stuff being done for charity already and tons of things and tons of press. The match serves its purpose. You're making SummerSlam fucking four hours. You know? I'm not worried about match quality because Barrett, Neville, and Stardust are going to make it work. You're entitled to your opinion, dude. I'm not going to sit here and measure dicks with you about whether it was good or not. You're entitled to it. You didn't like it. Duly noted. Anyway, I did want to talk about this uh, Seamus cash-in situation because as many of you know, and most of you have forgot because I fucking forgot, Seamus is your quote-unquote money, Mr. Money in the Bank. You could have fooled me because the guy has done absolutely nothing since winning it. Yes, obviously, the expectation is, hey, the guy's going to fucking cash it in. But in my opinion, he's he's just been a non-factor. But we had our World Heavyweight title match with Randy Orton and Seth Rollins. Uh, the match itself was solid. I, I can tell you it's never going to eclipse their WrestleMania match because that match was tremendous. But obviously, we were going to get the big RKO spot which we did, and um, obviously Sheamus got involved and was teasing the inevitable cash-in, which he did not do, but nonetheless, Rollins retained, Orton fucking got the upper hand, and Sheamus teased the cash-in. Here's my issue. My issue is that, yes, getting Randy Orton in there and preparing him for a match with Seth Rollins sets up the possibility that if Cena's not quote-unquote ready, you know, Randy Orton is a viable opponent for Seth Rollins. But my issue is that this would have been a key moment, a key moment to elevate a guy like Cesaro or even Kevin Owens for that matter and put them in there with Seth Rollins and see if there's a possibility of creating a new star. Because I'll tell you guys right now, 
looking at Cesaro and how the fans are into him and how you know there's so much attention when he's out there, Cesaro's becoming your next Daniel Bryan. Not, And I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm saying it because you're going with a guy that the fans love him, the internet is into him, he's a great wrestler, he connects with the fans. You can harness that energy and do something with it. The problem is that Go, you know, WWE, and I've talked about this, creative is always held back by either measuring dicks with Vince or just them not agreeing with the viability of a certain wrestler. Yes, Seth Rollins and Randy Orton, great match. You know, it was great at Mania. It was decent on Raw, but it's been done before and the outcome was expected. We knew that we would get the big RKO spot. We knew that Randy Orton was going to lose. Obviously, the surprise was the alleged Sheamus attempt at cashing in. But at the end of the day, we're looking at creating stars for the future. We're looking at viable opportunities. We're looking at wrestlers that are going to get people to tune in. And Rollins has done a great job of being that guy every night. Because think about it, Seth Rollins has been wrestling in some capacity practically every show. Raw, SmackDown, Raw, SmackDown. And he's there putting in the work. You know, and it's great because it's helping him improve as a wrestler, improve as a villain. But if you're not bringing guys in there that are going to be made stars, you're not accomplishing shit. I mean, I liked what they did with Triple H where he said, you know, Adrian Neville got in there with you and took you to the limit. It's good. It's an endorsement on Adrian Neville, number one. And it's also the fact that you're looking at Seth Rollins as the guy. And the only way that you're going to help him become that guy is by giving him opponents that are going to take him to the limit. And eventually he will win or he will lose. Putting Orton in there, it's it's the safe play. You got to take some risks. You got to try and create new stars. Randy Orton's not getting any younger. You could see the gray in his facial hair. John Cena's not getting any younger. These guys, as much as people don't want to admit it, eventually within the next five years, five or six years, they're going to start transitioning out of that. Either into more limited roles or into just not being the face of the company. I'm sure John Cena is at that stage where he wants another guy to help him carry the company. And many of us thought Daniel Bryan was going to be that guy. Obviously, injuries injuries played a part in that, but that's what was expected. And the thing that gets me is that nobody looks at that. You have to understand that you need... At least three top faces and three top heels. That's that's my opinion. The reason I say this is because you gotta have a guy that's ready to take the ball and run and run with it when another guy is either incapable of performing or is injured. Simple as that. If John Cena's injured and he can't have the quote unquote US Open challenge, then you need to be doing something with the IC title. You need to be having that you need to have that title on television. You need to do something with that. 
You need to start creating other stars. Why can't Seth Rollins have a world title open challenge? Like he said, you know, if, if Cena can do it every night, I can do it and be better than he is. Why not? Why can't we have different matches with different guys? Just, you know, with Seth Rollins defending the belt, quote unquote, every, every show and, and, and using it as a, as a vehicle to grow these other performers. I don't understand, but these are my gripes. They've always been my gripes. You guys know the deal, but I had, I had to put that out there anyway. Let's jump into the uh... <laughs> Slick says need five major faces and heels because two need to be in a tag team. All right, I can I can I can go with that. Either way, you definitely need it. You you definitely need guys to carry that to carry that, and the company just does not have it. Anyway, let me rattle off some of the other wrestling news of the week and wrap things up. I'm trying to keep the shows a little bit more tight and concise. Um, NXT's Takeover Brooklyn special NXT Takeover Brooklyn has sold out. Um, that's going down, of course, August 22nd. A lot of great matches on deck. Uh, the Jushin Thunder Liger is going to be wrestling. He's going to be taking on Tyler Breeze. Uh, Blake and Murphy will be defending their belts against the Vaude Villains. Sasha Banks is going to take on Bayley, which I'm sure is going to lead to us getting a new NXT Women's Champion. And I think Bayley has definitely earned it. Of course, we're getting our NXT title ladder match with Finn Balor and Kevin Owens, which I know is going to be tremendous. Those guys are going to fucking steal the show. Samoa Joe and Baron Corbin and the debut of Apollo Crews, a.k.a. Uha Nation. Um, a couple of things. Definitely a great time to be watching NXT, seeing the development of so many great talents. Uh, Samoa Joe and Baron Corbin, I think, is going to be a match that is going to be great for Baron Corbin. Everybody looks at Baron Corbin as this guy, this this force, this enigma that is destined for superstar status. I look at him as just uh, Kevin Nash with a crank torso, but that's just me. Um, I think his, working with Samoa Joe is going to help him be better, but it's always about the same thing, and I've said this before. It's not just about working with a performer that you can take something from. It's about you growing as a performer, and Baron Corbin doesn't speak much. His moveset is pretty limited, so... You take what you can get. Simple as that. In any case, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn is going to be tremendous. Sold out already. August 22nd on the network. You got SummerSlam that Sunday. You got Raw that Monday. It's it's a great time for wrestling here in New York City. Um, on top of that, you know, we got our friends at House of Glory. They got their show. You got Ring of Honor at MCU Park. It's uh, Friday night the 21st is House of Glory show. Amazing Red taking on Rey Mysterio, the 619 versus the 718. If you're here in New York City, definitely got to check it out. I'll put links for that in the show notes. Again, great time to be a wrestling fan, especially here in New York City next week. Anyway, Raw's uh, rating for this past Monday was substantially higher than it's been in the last two months. Um, a lot of people are, are, are saying it's because John Cena's not on TV. Uh, definitely a, a funny way of looking at it, but I also feel that the rating has been good because Monday nights have not been hurt by the NFL, but since NFL preseason started, that is definitely going to change. 
And because of that, you know, it's 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 one of those things where everybody's like, yeah, you know, the ratings are up. They're great. The real test is going to be competing against Monday Night Football. That's what we find out how good that Raw is for that night, depending on the Monday Night game that is being broadcast. That's all I'm saying. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy that Raw is doing good ratings-wise, but you're also competing against, you know, a pretty lackluster lineup of programming uh, with the exception of, you know, any Major League Baseball Monday night games. You're, you're, not, you're not competing against the big one, which is Monday night football. If you're a fan of Lucha Underground, and I know many of you have reached out to me talking about Ultima Lucha and how great it was, uh, definitely uh, an amazing, amazing two-part event, Ultima Lucha, a lot of great matches, a lot of stellar performances by the roster. Um, but the question is, what happens next? Of course, there's been a lot of social media buzz about Lucha Underground heading to Netflix, possibly getting another network, etc., etc., Um Eric Van Wagenen, who was the who's the producer for Lucha Underground, did a an interview on the uh, Wrestling Compadres pro- podcast, and he said that um, you know they they're definitely going to be back. The roster was excited. You know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be put in motion uh, to ensure that we continue to get just as good of a product in season two as we've got in season one. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, but it's being worked on. Looks like we may be seeing Lucha Underground return in January. Um, you know, like he said, there, there's a lot of stuff they got to do, uh, possibly changing venues, you know, doing all the vignettes, the editing, all that stuff isn't cheap. But, you know, they need they need a, a bigger platform to get the audience that they need to ensure just success and viability. I mean, El, the El Rey network is tremendous, but one of the things that's hurting that network is, number one, they're not broadcast on every major cable provider. That's that's a problem. Number two, it's such a niche market that for you to to really gain any traction with Lucha Underground, it's got to be word of mouth, YouTube, social media, etc. Just because it's something that's spoken of, but not something easily accessible. Same thing with Ring of Honor, even though now with their programming on Destination America, their iPay-per-views, their solid events... It's it's definitely a different a different look for Ring of Honor. But as of right now, a second season of Lucha Underground is going to happen. There may be some changes in the future, but all signs point to the second season starting in January. So there you have it. That's where we're at with Lucha Underground. Last but not least, if you guys were on our Facebook fan page uh, for RageWorks, you'll notice that I had posted a video of Roman Reigns being hit by a briefcase at a live event. Uh, this happened in Victoria, British Columbia. A fan threw a replica Money in the Bank briefcase into the ring and it hit Roman Reigns in the head during a match with Bray Wyatt. Um, the fan was arrested, but charges were dropped after he issued an apology. Um, Roman Reigns obviously shaken up, but he has been banned from all future WWE events. Uh, this is something that really bothers me. I mean, this goes back to when Eddie Guerrero and Rob Van Dam were having the ladder match and a fan jumped in, tried to push Eddie off the ladder and got his ass kicked. Do not jump over the barricade and try and disrupt matches. Um, it's dangerous for you as a fan, dangerous for the performers. Don't do it. It's not cool. 
derails everything, fucks everything up, and it's just a bad night for 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 the fan involved. You know, you get arrested, you might get your ass kicked. Not cool. Enjoy the event from your seat, from the barriers. Don't do dumb shit like that because, you know, if that briefcase, you know, it could have hurt Roman Reigns, giving him a concussion, whatever. It's just not the move. When I saw it, I saw the video when I was out of town, and I was just like, yo, are you kidding me? On top of the fact that the guy snuck this briefcase into the arena, which is insane, just the fact that he was able to just toss it in there and and genuinely, you know, almost hurt a guy is ridiculous. It makes me question security for the venue, uh, what the security were doing at ringside. It's It's just insane. But, again, don't try and be cool. Don't try and do something stupid and derail a wrestling event by doing something like that because if you get your ass kicked, you're bringing it on yourself. All right, so that is going to wrap it up for this week's wrestling segment and is going to wrap it up for the show for this week. So now that you've heard my take on MMA and wrestling, feel free to give me yours. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio, at Rage underscore Works. You can also look for us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash MyTakeRadio and facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. We've been trying to merge the My Take Radio page with the RageWorks page, and it has been a huge pain in the ass trying to figure out how to do it with Facebook. Every time we've tried to do it, they're like, oh, you got to change your name to make it match. We did that, tried to merge the pages, nothing. Oh, the pages are not the similar, are not the same. It's, it's a pain in the ass. We're still working on it to merge both pages. I do not want to delete the My Take Radio page. I want to merge it with RageWorks. We're still working on it. Don't think that we haven't forgot, you know, that we've forgotten that. It's just been a lot more difficult than we had imagined. Also, for those of you that want to follow us on other social media outlets besides Facebook and Twitter, uh, My Take Radio and RageWorks are on Tumblr. You can also follow our boards on Pinterest. Look for RageWorks on Pinterest. You can follow me on my on Instagram. It is RageWorks underscore Rich. Share a lot of show-related stuff there, toys, food, whatever. Um, it's a little bit of, 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 a, of a mix of stuff, but the, the, general, the general bulk the bulk of it is the stuff that we cover on air and on the site, so feel free to follow me there. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So with that, I will see you guys for our gaming and entertainment episode tomorrow night. Well, today, depending on if you're on the East Coast. Um, 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Keep it locked to MTR Live for gaming and entertainment. Uh, archived episodes of the show available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Of course, video episodes will be available on our two YouTube channels, My Take Radio TV and Official Rage Works. On behalf of myself and the rest of the Rage Works and MTR team, I will catch you guys later. Peace. Yeah. Uh, uh. That's all, folks.